Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Sean Foreman. Sean is the president at Sports Reference and, of course, the founder of Baseball Reference. Sean, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Well, I wanted to have you on to discuss Bill James's criticism of wins above replacement. He brought it up specifically in the context referring to the MVP debate. He doesn't seem to like that it's not tied to actual team wins, and he thought the calculation was overly simplistic. I first want to get your initial thoughts on his essay. Well, I just want to say first, obviously, tremendous amount of respect for Bill James. I think, you know, every sabermetrician I know... um, who's anywhere close to my age, cut their teeth reading his uh, his work in the abstracts. And uh, I would say his historical baseball abstract is probably the first book I go to whenever I try to figure out, you know, where to rank a player historically, um, you know, at, at their position. Um, so, you know, you have to take, obviously you have to take very seriously anything uh, Bill says about your uh, your metrics and, and, and what he thinks about them. I, um, I mean, overall, I thought, I, I thought, I, I think this is a place where there's uh, an opportunity for, dis- for for disagreement, a place where disagreement is reasonable. You know, I think the uh, the sabermetric community um, since Bill kind of left the scene and worked for the Red Sox and hasn't written as much is kind of focused more on on looking at context neutral uh, statistics. You know, where does the player rank in terms of of um, you know metrics that take out out the uh, you know that take that take things in a more you know, context neutral case where we're not as where, where we're trying to look at them in a neutral park or on an, in an average setting. What would they mean to an average team? You know, things like that. So, in Bill, you know, if you look at his work in wind chairs, he's obviously been much more of the view that you know. I think he said in his essay, which struck me, which I would not have thought of this way, is that wins create player value, and I, I generally think to look at it as the player's value creates the wins that you see on on, on the field. So. So it's, you know, just two different ways of looking at it. Uh, Bill's always been a very uh, pointed writer uh, when he writes, and so he he probably is more uh, direct than I tend to come from an academic background where I tend to couch things a little bit more in uncertainty. So, uh, you know, that's his style. It's what makes his... uh, his writing so bracing when you're reading it and so uh, so interesting to read. So I, you know, I certainly um, have taken, you know, taken to heart what he said, but I, you know, I don't see us probably changing much, uh, much in how we, how we do things on our end. Yeah, I, I thought a lot of it was interesting. I think what Bill was saying is not new. It's what we hear from a lot of people, a lot of BBWA members, for that matter. Um, right. They're not using right. the terms context, neutral, and linear weights. But I think the idea of context is what trips people with not just wins above replacement, but with some of the advanced stats that exist now. And it's what the preferred system is with not just James was sort of specifically targeting your version of war, but all three versions of war sort of focus on the same thing. You being context neutral in that the idea when you first start learning about sabermetrics, the premise of is a hit with a runner on first base worth more than a hit with no one on base. And you're like, oh, yeah. But then you realize that runner on first base, the hitter had no control over. And once you realize, you're like, oh, right, he had no control over it. That does make sense. That that three-run home run and that solo home run, he has no control over what his teammates do. He has no control over his teammates grounded to a double play after him either. So I think that's actually where the divide is between people who don't embrace sabermetrics at all and people who have, have embraced it full throttle. And I think it was surprising to hear it coming from James, who has seemingly in this essay walked back a lot of his research that he established 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I don't obviously don't want to put any words in his mouth. I, I, I would say more that he, 
when looking at things like perhaps I don't, I don't know where you come down on the Hall of Fame necessarily in, in this question, um, but I, I think generally when looking at MVP races, he, his argument is that what actually happened on the field is more relevant to or or is I mean I guess you know to choose his language it, it's it's really the only thing that matters in terms of how we evaluate the players and I and I you know I, I take more of the view, I think I laid this out in my blog post response, that the way I look at valuing the MVP, so I think James' approach would be more, you know, what happened on the field, did he drive in the runners who were on base, you know, did his team win in those games where he hit the three-run homer, um, and I think that's that's an approach you can certainly take. Uh, there, there's, you know, it's, it's not the approach I would take. My approach would be more to say, you know, if on, on April 1st we were a GM and we could pick from any of these players the season that we wanted on our team to win the most games, which player would we pick? And, and so that that's kind of how we've set up uh, the stats in our case in order to, you know, in order to try to say which, which of these players actually, actually um, would have provided us the most value over the course of the year. And in that case, you're not really, you're not as concerned about, well, what did you do with runners in scoring position? What were you do with uh, in late and clutch situations, late and close situations, or high leverage or low leverage? You know, it's more overall, how did they do on the season? So, um, you know, we try to take, you know, we, I, I feel like we're very careful. Uh, you know, one of the things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is, you know, there's this kind of implication between either Joe Posnanski uh, or Bill James that, you know, when it gets to we compute the runs, which he seemed on board with, seemed to think was fine, and then we converted into wins, um, that we're just kind of throwing our hands up and, and, and just dividing by 10, which, you know, there, there have been dozens of studies that have shown that 10 runs is pretty much the correct divide, that that's the relationship between runs and wins. And we, you know, we even go a step beyond that and look at it in a much more, you know, I posted a, a picture of the article. It's, it's thousands of words long and how we just, how we do this um, and, and, and where that number comes from. So that was the one quib main quibble that I had uh, with, with the article. But, you know, and I think generally our viewpoint, I, my view is we can disagree on this uh, and each side is valid. James seems to be a little more, uh, I don't know if dogmatic is the right word, but a little more certain that his view is the correct one. What would a version of war look like under James's guidelines? I, I've been trying to think about that, um, actually. I, I mean, I, I think the way we could do it, so I, I haven't fi exactly figured out how this, how this would work, but kind of the argument is that, you know, the, the Yankees, if you use the Pythagorean uh, win-loss uh, win uh, calculator, they, they, you would have expected them to have like 102 wins on the season. They, they were tremendous. You know, they, they underperformed given their run differential what we would have expected. That, that's the whole crux of this issue is that they, they were about 11 wins worse than we would have expected given the runs they allowed and the runs they, they scored. So I mean, one. So when we do our calculation, we plug the player's value uh, into an average team and say, how would this have changed an average team's win-loss record over the season? And that's their wins of you know above a replacement player. Um, so we could maybe fiddle with the uh, Pythagorean win-loss uh, calculation and say, okay, normally you know 900. I don't remember the detail, the exact numbers, but 900 runs scored, 700 runs allowed. That leads to a uh, to 102 wins, 
but let's change that formula so now it leads to 91 wins and then plug those values for Judge and his teammates into that formula. So that would actually then push you towards the 91 wins that James thinks would be more appropriate. So that's probably one way to do it. Another way to do it would be, uh, you know, because that would say that that team was more, uh, that their Pythagorean, that their manner in which they converted runs saved and earned into into wins was somehow flawed and they were, they were deserve a different, they should have a different equation. I mean, another way to do it would be to, you know, to try and, and I think this is probably what James was, Bill James was arguing for is, is, you know, dig in and see what exactly are those interactions that led to uh, the poor performance overall relative to the Pythagorean win-loss record, to the expected win-loss record, and, and then try to add those factors in into the situation. So you'd probably have to look at, you know, he pointed out in the article that, you know, Judge didn't hit well in, in high leverage situations. So maybe add some sort of sort of sort of a factor in for you know low leverage versus high leverage. Look at you know and do that for you could do that for all the players. I mean that you may get you may get all of the adjustment into there um, just by looking at that that one factor. I mean I my view is that I mean I like for instance when when considering this issue you have to take into account random variance. Okay, I mean if you flip a coin. A uh, hundred times, you're not going to get 50 heads and 50 tails. So, you know, my you're going to get you might get a 55. Um, you know, people people assume it's going to be tightly clustered around 50, but it, you know, you actually might get as many as 60. You might get 38. Um, the variance is actually much larger, even in a perfect random trial like a coin flip, than people expect. And, and so, where we differ here is, I'm not necessarily willing to. Um, to play it, pin all the blame on Judge for not performing in the high leverage situations when I would probably attribute a lot of that just to random variance. You know, he just happened to not do as well in those situations, which may have led to the to the Yankees underperforming their expected win loss total. So, you know, that that's kind of I think where where the difference in approach uh, most most pointedly occurs. You know, a few years ago, I actually just played around with combining wins above replacement and win probability added, and I didn't like sure. it. I didn't like it because I thought the win probability added was it was too much. It was adding giving too much credit for that. But I do wonder if there is any way to include a clutch or a leverage indicator into a wins above replacement model. I mean, it's certainly possible. I mean, every, every, everything is. I, I think. I think. Somebody pointed that out to James, to Bill James, and he actually said that would be a terrible approach. So I, 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 I'm not exactly sure quite what he, you know, 100 what he's driving at. But I mean, you certainly, you certainly could. I mean, uh, Tom Tango suggested adding something like a, um, a timing. He called it timing because uh, you know ba- basically the Yankees were inefficient in how they timed the events where they, where they. Uh, scored all their runs. They scored them in in low, low, more often in low leverage situations when they were behind by a lot or ahead by a lot. Um, so you could add some sort of timing component uh, that tries to get a handle on that, and then subtracts away or adds in wins, you know, based on based on you know the difference between the expected win loss records. I mean, I should also point out the Yankees were an extreme outlier in this regard. They very few teams are ever more than like three or four wins away from their expected win-loss record. So I, and at a, you know, that's at a team level. At a player level, you're talking, you know, that comes out to like, you know, divide four wins by 20, you get like, a, you know, a fourth of a win for the, for a starter. 
that, that you would need to adjust things. So, you know, and even if you're looking at Judge, you're probably only going to need to adjust by a half win. Uh, James did something where he was multiplying by 16%, which is not the right way to do it. That's penalizing your biggest win, your, your best players more than your poorest players. You really should just be adding uh, a, a constant to each of those players based on playing time. Uh, rather than multiplying across the board, you know, subtracting 16% off everybody, you should subtract a constant based on playing time uh, for each player. So anyway, you know, even with Judd, you're talking about a half win adjustment to get the Yankees down to that 91 win level. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there, there would be ways to add it. It's, it's, I don't think it's something we're necessarily going to spend time on. I'm curious, what were the so wins above replacement as a metric was initially sort of created by Sean Smith, if I have that right. And basically all three versions of war are adapted and enhanced from that original prototype. What was war initially established to do? And how do you feel about how it's being used today, specifically with regards to MVP voting or Hall of Fame candidacies? Let's see. That's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure I ever directly asked uh, Sean Smith, like, what was your goal in creating this? I, I you know, I think I think my perception yeah, I think I can't remember how many years we've had it on the site now. Maybe seven or eight, something like that. Um, I mean, it, you know, we always it was always historical in nature. There was always, you know, he always computed values for every player in Major League history back to 1871. Um, so I mean, it was always. I think the the whole goal was to allow you to compare players he did across different contexts. You know, to put them into a single framework and say, here's what the base running, here's what the the uh, you know the batting was here's what you know and you can still see this on the site we have you know the base running the batting the defense split off and then we have values for the replacement level based on the quality of the league as we perceive it and then we have a position adjustment based on the scarcity of different players to play each each position so you know that's always been the framework and so it's always been to try and translate these values from different eras or different contexts into a single single context and and that's you know i think that's been the goal so i i, I really don't have a problem with how i mean i we say on the site you know you probably should we you know we would probably uh if i were looking at it i would disregard i would just round to the nearest win and not look really at decimals you know and if you look at it that that way Judge now to they were neck and neck uh, in our in our metrics and, and so you you know voting for you it would be completely appropriate to look at other factors to say which one I should vote for and and you know the funny thing that strikes me about this is if you read James's article you would think that like Judge had won the uh, the MVP race but Altuve was you know it was twenty seven to two first place votes uh, in, in the race so I seems to me the media is using it appropriately and, and taking the right factors in, into account when they when they do their voting. I want to ask you about just another thing. I want to ask you about O-War and D-War. I see people, and I think well-intended people as well, misusing those all of the time. Will you tell me what those two stats do and what they are uh, and how they're being used or how they're supposed to be used? Sure. Um, so originally the way we did it was um, – O-War and D-War, you could add O-War, offensive war, and defensive war together to get the overall war number. When we, when we did that, what ended, the way we did that is we put the position adjusted. The, the whole point of this was to create offensive war, which basically was the war number with the defensive value uh, taken out of it. Because there's a lot of people have concerns about the defensive metrics. They think they're inaccurate, not correct. 
So if you wanted to, you could just say, well, everybody's an average fielder, and that's our O-War number. So it's it's very comparable to what the VORP number was that Baseball Prospectus uh, still still posts, but was very popular, uh, created by Keith Wilner um, way back when. And so the idea was to create a defense-neutral uh, offensive statistic. And then while I was like, well, what do we do with what's left over? Let's just create D-War as well, and then the two numbers add together. Um, what the, ended up happening then is that you would have guys like Keith Hernandez, um, Barry Bonds, um, Brett Gardner as the best players, best defensive players. People were reading that as those guys were the best defensive players in Major League history because they had the highest D-War numbers because at that time D-War was just the run saved number added up over their career. So if you're a left fielder, if you're the greatest left fielder of all time, it was saying you were the best fielder of all time. So then that didn't seem to make much sense. So five, six years ago, probably a year or so after we first put up the DWAR value, we then put up, uh, we then added the position component back into DWAR. So now you can't add the two to get war because it double counts the position adjustment. And so now you have more shortstops, more catchers, et cetera, as the greatest defensive players of all time. So really DWAR should only be used, in my opinion, when you're trying to compare across positions. It really has it has no relevance uh, when you're comparing shortstops. I mean, the numbers will work out the same if you're looking at, at, at um, it'll essentially work out the same as if you were looking at just run saved uh, at the position. But a much better way to go about it would just be to look at the run saved for the career. So yeah, you'd say Jeter is minus 100 runs saved, Omar Vizquel, uh, who I've been arguing about for the last uh, five days on Twitter, is plus you know a, a hundred uh, runs saved, and just look at them that way rather than computing than looking at their D WAR, uh, because I mean you know you get it was I actually I was we compute we compile some of the numbers that the Gold Glove voters use for um, for their ballot guide, and uh, and I was so I got invited to the banquet this year. And they were announcing the winners coming up. They were saying like he led he led all shortstops with the D war. He led all left fielders with the D war of zero point one. And it's like that is a ridiculous thing to say because you know he's he only appears average in that number because you're putting the position adjustment there. You should really just use run saved. Um, so that that's that's where I stand on that. And I, I I think I know we're doing some changes to try and make that more clear, but. But, uh, you know, that's kind of how we, we approach the question. So part of me says, why do we need either of those at this point then? Uh, O-War or D-War? Yeah. Well, so I think O-War has some value because there is there is uncertainty within the defensive metrics, more, more so than looking at a player's batting, batting uh, uh, contribution. So I, I think if... I think you can make the case that if you want to look at just the O-War numbers and then hedge them a little bit based on whether you feel the player's an above average or below average fielder, that's fine. Um, we probably could be fine just removing the D-War numbers overall. There probably is really no need to add them on the site. It might, it might actually be better to remove them now that I think about it. What else is going on? What, what do you have planned for Baseball Reference this year? Are you introducing anything new? What can we expect from Baseball Reference this year? I, you know, it's, it's funny because we, uh, I mean, for the last, so we, we launched the responsive site in February, which, you know, I think took, took some people a little bit to get used, 
to get used to, but we've, uh, you know, I think overall it's gone very well and our, you know, our mobile traffic is up and our, our desktop traffic is, is mostly flat. Um, so, you know, since that, that, that was, that was a two year process launching that across all the sites. We have seven sites now. Um, so we, we had to do a lot of, we haven't really, I don't think we've put out any new features in the last eight or nine months. It's mostly just been cleaning up the back the stuff behind the scenes, making things work more smoothly, trying to create better processes to, to update things. So we do have a couple things coming up soon. Uh, and on our play index side, we're going to add a um, team season finder, which has been something people have wanted for eight, nine years. Um, and we're finally getting done. So I, I should say Hans von Sluten, uh, who's on Twitter as Camp Pitch, uh, is, our, uh, is our lead dev on, on baseball. So he's He's working on that. That should get launched probably in the next week or so. Actually, we're actually beta testing testing it internally right now, just for Q and A. Uh, and then uh, we we um, also are going to have, if you've gone to our basketball site or our football site or our hockey site, we have a player comparison tool, which uh, has been very, fairly popular on those sites. And he's also put one of those together for baseball, so you'll be able to compare. Omar Vizquel and Ozzy Smith head to head very easily, and 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 so that's that's the other thing that we're looking at uh, at at uh, getting out. That'll, that'll almost certainly be out before the end of the year. Um, as for next year, I think we're you know we're we're getting to the point where we've kind of cleaned things up and things are improving, and we're ready to start you know pushing out some new stuff. So I you know it's really going to be what you know what we figure out the users want and and, uh, and and what they're interested in and and hopefully we can have some have some new exciting stuff uh, coming up next year you've been listening to sean foreman sean is the president of sports reference you can give him a follow on twitter at sean underscore foreman sean thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today my pleasure thanks for having me